Come in. Hey, man, I'm sorry I made the transition. Shut up! You're here! And good thing, because we've got lots of work. Katie Lazarus, the talk show featuring unforgettable guests with incredible jobs. And now, here's my boss and your host, Katie Lazarus. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Employee of the Month. I'm your host, Katie Lazarus. And in this episode, I'm just super delighted. I sound like I'm in seventh grade, but that's probably because that captures the feeling of just pure delight I had the first time I got to see Shanali Baumilk on stage. Um, she is a musician and a comedian and a tour de force and also hosts her own podcast. Um, she really probably is most famous, I would say, for Tigers and Monkeys, um, her band, and she's performed with Ted Leo and David Cross and many other people you know. And she also had an unbelievably fun uh, comedy troupe called Variety Shack with Chelsea Peretti, uh, Andrea Rosen, who you recognize from every commercial, um, as and who's also had her own um, t- television shows, and um, also Heather Lawless, who looks exactly like... Okay, Are I you going to say sh- it? Yes. Is it Sissy, Sissy Spacek? Spacek? Yeah. It's like, it's uncanny. It is. It is. Um, and she is a, a voiceover actor in addition to being... An actor that you see in person, too, because yeah. Sissy Spacek is really good looking. So, yeah. of course, you'd want to see Heather. Um, and in any event, I'm very excited to bring Shanali here um, and have her here. She's also the host of the podcast, We Don't Even Know, um, which I highly encourage you to check out. Um, and once you hear our, our conversation, you'll know why oh. I'm saying that. Oh, Katie, thank you so, so much. And I, it's, it is also, I would say I'm an admirer of you, too, and I've loved to see, I've loved witnessing, I don't know if you know this, but first time I ever heard of you was when I was in jury duty when I moved here. <laughs> and there was this... And I was in, the, the court was... Uh... The, it was a wonderful <laughs> woman on the jury with me who asked me what I did, and when I talked about comedy, she goes, well, one of my friend's daughters is in comedy. Oh my God. hilarious. And so she tells me all about you, and I got your name, because I decided I would look you up. And she was so cute. Um, I wonder. I, actually, when we're deliberating, was she was. Jewish. She was. <laughs> there was some issues when we're deliberating. Ooh, fascinating. I mean, we ended up coming up with a verdict, but she was one of the ones that held out. Yeah. Really. Yeah. But she was so sweet. And then I was like, I have to find out who this is, and it was you. Oh. So I sort of know, knew about you right when I got here, and I was curious as to what you did. And it was it was I cool have... to look you up and sort of see like we had this similar sort of ascent. I would call it an ascent. Um, but, you know, in this biz, I guess, you know, I, I um I love that I can always be associated with jury duty. And it <laughs> is a true. good reminder that I need to fill out another form to put it <laughs> off. Um, so, OK, so you grew up in, in Nashville. I grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. That fascinates me. I am an Indian woman, uh, Indian American woman. That's what they call us. But, yeah, my parents immigrated from India and they both did grad work graduate work in Michigan and then moved to Nashville to teach and they're both professors and my mom actually left and has her own Indian business right now it's a Indian variety show I mean India Indian variety <laughs> store called Shubas on Nolensville Road she hasn't retired she's still there I send all my friends there if you guys go to Nashville please go visit her it's the sweet she's the sweetest I love my mom it's right near this cool record store Nashville's booming so she gets to talk to all the hipsters and She's awesome. So 
Nashville is my hometown. I love it. Did you ever um, meet Emmylou Harris or see her perform? I did not, but I did, you know, I took it for granted for sure where I grew up. Well, I, you have so many. So many. Uh, but brilliant musicians. Totally. But it it definitely is, uh, I'm certain, the reason I started playing music. I mean, outside of just being someone that loved music, my friends that I grew up with had parents in the business. There were guitars around the house. There were uh, literally my best friend that I grew up with that played music in my band before Tigers and Monkeys was called Ultra Baby Fat. She and I started performing and playing music together like sixth grade. And her dad had a home studio. He ended up being the head of Arista Records after years of being a songwriter. And it's just like, I I took it for granted when I was there. I remember thinking, I'm into rock and roll, not country music. Yes. But... I definitely was inspired by seeing daily on the morning TV people like Chet Atkins and George Jones and Tammy Wynette was abducted while I was growing up in in Nashville. It was the news. You know, the news was that she got taken away in the Green Hills Mall. She was kidnapped. It was like... I thought you said inducted at first. You meant abducted. I'm so sorry to hear that. My face was like, that's terrific. (laughs) (laughs) She was kidnapped for a day. So these were like, to me, neighbors, like these people. Yeah. And they were Southern white folks that this little brown girl loved. I loved. I, I still love them. Just saying that. Um, but your parents I, en- enabled you to be open to it, too. I mean, yes. You know what I mean? They didn't They didn't cu- cut you off from it. No, no. And in fact, I think um, they're not, and, and not to put down any other traditional Indian parents, but they were different even within their circle of yes. friends. And they were very progressive. And they came out of a marriage that was... Um, not arranged wow. and different religions, different, they came from different states, which means they spoke oh. different languages. Which, which, which um, states they come from? So my religions? dad's from Bengal. Okay. Yeah. And my mom's South Indian. So she's from near uh, yeah. Chennai. Yeah. And she, she speaks, she speaks Telugu. He speaks Bengali. They both speak Hindi. It's crazy. It's so, fascinating. I mean, now I think about it being completely a unique, unique scenario, but Growing up in it, it was just like, oh yeah, this is normal. I was much more southern than I am right here, right now. Yeah, but I can. I, it comes back like the minute I'm there, full on, full southern accent. Parents with strong Indian accents, and friends that still think it's charming that we're so different. Was your mom Hindi? She speaks Telugu, but she okay. she can. They both can speak Hindi. Okay, Hindi. Yeah, sorry. yeah. I meant Hindu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she no, she actually. Um, Somehow there were Baptist missionaries that came to her town. As one does. In India? In India, which is so crazily rare. So her small town is Christian. Is that? And then dad grew up Hindu. And then, you know, and I remember they just, they were pretty much like, you could do what you want. You know, do what you want with that. It is extraordinary. What did they end up doing as research? Both of them were um, sociology. My mom also did anthropology. My dad's sociologist. So he was. And what was their, like? focus within those um well so my dad was the head of sociology department at fisk university Uh uh-huh and my mom left teaching she was in anthropology she left at a young age for her business but um i completely can connect the dots in terms of even though i consider myself it's like an artist slash attorney slash just do whatever the hell I want to do. Yes. I'm certain. Dilettante. That, right? A dilettante. <laughs> I'm certain that it comes directly from, from them. You know, like them loving sort of people and studying how who we are and what we are and 
how we interact and, and actually not getting too um, like bogged down with the weight of the world and just sort of understanding that this is we're humans and this is what we do. It's very helpful to me and it's also made everything I do um, just they're open to everything I've done. I haven't had that pressure, that stereotypical uh, parental pressure yes. from Indian parents, especially like you're supposed to be the doctor, lawyer, engineer. I'm sh- I mean, they did definitely ask me to be those things, but. Well, and I mean, it's it's interesting now. It's First of all, it's so wonderful now that there's so many Indian American um, comedians and writers who are, who are finally getting out in, in more yeah. mainstream American. Cause yes. Second largest population in the world is yeah. India, but to, yeah. but to have all these Indian Americans talking about their experience, and part of it, what I find fascinating is what is particular to that person. Yep. And then what is just the nature of being the second generation? Right. It's so true. And and I mean, I think a lot of us. I was talking to a friend. Like we would say, cover first generation. You'd be considered first, first generation. generation. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think you're right, and I think that we don't really reflect upon that I mean at least till at least till you get out of college like you really just you're in it you're just like everyone else in your head and there are certain things that are different but that's what you do you're a kid you deal and then slowly when you actually start to acknowledge like what the big big world out there especially United States of America how it works how it operates you start identifying how who is running what corporation who is head of what media outlet who it and you see that there's so few of us at the helms, then you start understanding that your voice has to be heard. You know, you just yes. start understanding like, wait a minute, actually no one is really speaking for me. I, I thought it was taken care of, but it, it isn't. And we need to hear each other. That's important. The other irony I found when I would, I would work at um, schools in DC where I grew up where there were like no books and kids had never seen a white person before and be like, what is your hair like? Um, and then I would work with like really wealthy kids who went to the schools that I did. Uh-huh. And then one, when I w- went and visited my brother, I was telling you as a peace uh, activist in the Middle East and I went to visit the kids he works with. And I did notice that whatever your socioeconomic class, ethnicity, religion, if you're mm. American, in some ways there's an entitlement to understanding your rights and privileges. Mm. And in other ways it's like, this vitality and this vibrancy. True. You know, to know to speak up for yourself. That's so true. And I, it was it was an interesting, like, realization, and it wasn't until I went abroad to be like, what is the difference here? It's exactly. That that happened to me the first, let's say probably, I've gone, I used to go to India every four years, and I would say probably when I turned 18 was when I started being much more vocal about my thoughts and, and, and also projecting, like, what I thought was important Um to me should be important to everyone and my aunts and uncles would just crack up because I was talking about women's rights when I was 18 I was watching um and and this is this is what you're talking about is that feeling that this is just the way it is and it it's like this everywhere but here my relatives are who are great people and I see my uncle ordering around his sister-in-law and asking her to do the clothes and and obviously I respect the culture but there's a certain degree of like patience and tolerance with your loved ones um, that you have. But it, as an 18-year-old at that point, I was like, what do you do? You, you know, you wouldn't do that in our country. Obviously, there's some people in our country that still do that. But I was like, you you can't just order. And they would just think it was so funny. Yes. Yes. Um, and I, I just started realizing it. it had everything to do with where I was born. It was 
the United yeah. States of America. Yes. Um, it seems obvious, but until you go through those moments, until you actually have some perspective about your own behavior, do you understand what, where it's coming from? Again, my parents, sociology, I'm certain that that's where I started to go. I'm going to listen and think about what I'm doing and what, what are the repercussions of that? Why do people are laughing at me about something that's super important to me? It's because they, I mean, I also probably think they admire me. That's what I like to think. By the time I like your style, <laughs> that actually sounds more like most of my friends are Indian in terms of they're like overly loving parents. Like you're the best <laughs> and Jewish, and there's like a zillion other cultures where that is true. Um, did you start in music? Oh, in Nashville. Yeah, yeah, I did. You know, it was that that thing, and I oh, I feel so lucky. What's that thing? That thing was the friendship at a young age. Okay, with that friend. friend. What was that friend's name? Uh, her name's Michelle okay. Dubois. She has her own solo album that just came out. Like W-E-B. She, yeah, yeah, exactly. She uh, and I, she, we both played violin together at a young age, and that's how it started. And I remember um, she makes me laugh. She, we, we laugh. We're still very close. And so it took us, though, until when she was in college, she started performing I didn't start performing till law school, which is crazy. But we've been writing songs. So isn't it? Yeah. I mean, so you I don't would do it on the side. Yeah. I didn't take it seriously. Yeah. And I just think that says something to anyone out there that's in law school that's thinking this isn't the only thing I want to do. I suggest if you're especially if you're a musician, it's the perfect time you take exams once a semester. So you really don't need to study, study. You keep up with the classwork, study, study until that time. So you can go play on the weekends, take your classes Monday through Thursday and go, especially if you're on the East Coast, you can get to all these cities. And we got so much support from Atlanta when I started performing that it just became the thing. The thing, one is it changed my life. Yes. Um, I, I look back again, I was like, these three young ladies touring around in a van. We had one guy play drums. We would just ask for places to stay at the end of a show. We would sleep at strangers' homes. And there was no part of us that was scared of any of it. Not yes. that we should be. But like no. when I think about right. suggesting this idea to my niece, like when she's, you know, when she's 21, I'd be like, yeah, just go out there and find places to stay and sleep on the floors and just, you know, I... I, it's, I mean, there's many more really, really courageous things that other people have done. But when I look back, I'm like, most people haven't done that. That was so... No, I love that you continued with law school and and, and explored your music. Because I quit yeah. my doctorate to do comedy because mm. I didn't think... First of all, I, th I thought it was unethical to do both, which I had no idea. Oh, my gosh. Um, how... That's not necessarily true, but I was, you know, had sort of very earnest ideas. Yes, I used to. Yes, I, I used to. <laughs> and now I meet people who don't don't do that. But yeah. but I but that I find that fascinating and also um, fortuitous because of the way the the music industry went. So that even though you have albums, have had albums, right? You know, have had major major success. I right. think. And, Thank you. Um, that's, that's it's true. just the nature of the business now that it is, you know, a winner takes all and there's about 25 winners. That's absolutely right. So uh, it, at the time that I started playing, it was sort of the end of the heyday when you would get huge record deals. Mm -hmm. And so 
we immediately, like, we put out a, a small uh, indie album, like, within a month of playing together, like, which was great. We had this attention. Um, I think it was just, again, earnest. I think we were very earnest. I think yeah. people, like, appreciated that. And um, it was a very simple power punk band, pop rock band. I mean, and we were good. But with that interest, in probably within a year, um, we got signed to this label, this man named Walter Yetnikoff. He used to be the head of Sony right before Tommy Mottola. And, and it was uh, his new label. And he gave us a big chunk of money. And I promise you, it was, it was so surreal because these little girls together had imagined this, you know. And, and here it happened. We were being, you know, coming to New York, being, going out in limos and taking this meeting. We're meeting like superstars in rock and roll, you know, like, and our A&R person was Lisa Robinson, who's the writer for Fanny Fair and a legendary rock writer, toured with Led Zeppelin and Stones and Elvis Costello. We were in this world of, for us, it was just, we were done. Wow. We were done. And I remember a year after we signed that deal, which is, at that time, you know, they do the, like, the five deals, and if you add it up, it's over a million dollars. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's how we would say, like, she got a million-dollar recording contract. Within a year, we both were like, God, this sucks. This sucks. What about they're, it? They're, they, they're telling you how to dress. I mean, I, again, you know, maybe I was we're so idealistic and, like, naive about how the business works. Oh, my God. We're artists. I'm still, an, I'm still like, idiot. Yeah. I am still like that, but I'm at least able to know that it's going to happen, that someone's going to tell you to change it, and you're not going to like it. And you're at conscious that point, of, yes. of the choices you're making now. Yes. yes but I, I was very similar. Yeah. So Minus the talent. At, yeah. at the, <laughs> Keep going. Keep going. But, you know, at the end of that, I just remember us be, just sort of saying, like, this isn't really what we thought it would be. And simultaneously, we got a letter that said, you're dropped. And we were so excited. It was so funny to see both of us give each other high fives. I remember that. Gave each other high fives. And from there, we've been on indie labels, either other people's labels, our own. I have my own right now called Little Lamb Recordings. I've been putting out comedy albums, too. Yeah. And rock and roll albums. Um, I, fe I feel like it's a collective of artists that I think the world should know, but it's definitely not all about like the glitz and the glamour. It's about getting people's art out there that are super talented and should be heard by the world. But that now, I mean, I let go of that so quickly. I love performing. I will make records till I'm 80. If, like my mom's perspective, I remember a while ago she gets it. I see Jennifer Lopez on the Grammys and I think of you. She was, Jennifer Lopez was swinging in a swing in a bodysuit. <laughs> My mom told me that. And I just said, Mom, 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 you got it. This is not, this is not what I'm trying to do. You get it? I am so happy with playing in a small club with 200 people, 10 people. I mean, you know what I mean? I'm just saying like yes. the, at the places that we were touring, we were doing really well and we had a following and that's fine. That that was that's happiness for me. Like I do not. There's no part of me saying like that's what I want to do. I mean, and in terms of comedy, yeah. How did you form shows, into comedy? I I it's because so was it from performing music with David Cross? Yeah, it was. Okay. So we toured together. We had such a great time. It was time for me to move here. I knew that. I had such a um, network and a group of friends here in New York that were musicians, and at the same time. David had moved here and he literally called me right when I made the decision and said, hey, 
you need to move here. I'm going on tour with Mr. Show. You can stay in my place. You got to do, I mean, he had no idea that I actually was thinking that, you know, it, it's, he hates for me. He, he doesn't like you, to get credit for, I, but oh, good. He, let's, let's give him like a warm, like, yeah, shout you out. feel He's it. Such a sweet guy. Da David, so you're the, warm. you're the best. I know he can't stand hearing that, <laughs> oh but God, I love you so it. much. Just imagine my arms around you, hugging you so tightly right he, now. It's so funny that you said that because he's exactly the kind of person I want to run up and just like put stickers on their face <laughs> and like kiss them, like not in a sexual way, but like, just, just like no, like the intimacy and mushy warmth is like it's it a, kills him. Oh, but meanwhile, like, that's who he put, like sunblock. He, in he truly is such a considerate, generous friend. Isn't that the funniest? Yeah. I, it still perplexes me. It's still like I, I, I like you. I still love to give him that hug, you know, oh, totally. and he appreciates it. But yeah. So anyway, he... I don't even know. If I don't I, with you. Sure. With me. No. <laughs> but still, like... but he that. was instrumental. And so were my other friends that were here playing music. And who were, who were some of those? Um, Marcellus Hall, who is okay. one of my favorite illustrators for The New Yorker and musicians. He had a band called Railroad Jerk. I love that band. Um, my friend Mia Jung was working as an A&R person here for a big label. And then Lisa and Walter, the, the label people were here. But through playing, the, I mean, that was the, the the bands that were playing here. I just remember this, like uh, Aerosmith, oh, um, Joe Perry. We got to talk to him because he was, like, helping us understand. Oh, that was the Nick, Nick Rhodes of Duran Duran was here once. And Lisa took us to go talk to him. And Michelle and I were out of our minds going, oh, my God, we were kids. We were loved Duran Duran. And this is our dream come true. And just all, all of these things, magical things happened in New York that, you know, blew yeah. my mind. Um, but, yeah, coming here and being with Lisa was huge also so that we met we met so many, so many people. Um, yeah. So then how did you and, foray into comedy? So that was it. David brought, I would say he didn't bring me here, but he was amenable to me staying in his apartment for free. That's what it was. And as soon as I got here, um, he asked me to help produce his comedy show that, called Tinkle, which was a live oh, show yeah. downtown at Pianos. It was sort of, it was, it was really crazy because I didn't know anything about UCB at that point UCB and the did pit he, were, I don't think pianos uh, sorry first of all the pit yeah. did not people's empire for theater definitely did not exist no I don't think that UCB had even started or was just forming you, you know Amy she's a full polar she's a good friend of yours but yeah were they, they were they were actually just splitting oh, where, just splitting as a troop as yeah a, as a, as a, so the pit was it. about so this was a thing you know and I, I wait I, no explain that to me because I thought you meant the people's improv theater I didn't yeah. understand what well saying. um so no no literally that's what I am saying so when I got here, I remember David. It was David Cross, Todd Berry, and John Benjamin, who I love. I mean, like, I got here and I was going to comedy shows all the time. You know, um, Rafifi had a bunch of amazing shows, and so my, you know, my crew at that point, like Bobby Tisdale and Eugene Merman, and and it, it was Leo Allen and Eric Sloven and Chelsea Peretti, yeah. Andrew Rosen, Heather Lawless. Like we were all like coming together at that time and it was and Demetri Martin was in that like it was just so much fun yes. you know and we were going to shows every night where everyone was performing all the time and I was the musician in the lot so I remember just going like wow you guys perform three or four times a night for free and I mean we really I hadn't done that I mean as a band we got paid when we yeah. played like that wasn't even 
it's like maybe the first show was free, but in general, I had been paid for years as a musician to play music, and I had lived off the money of my music. Wow. For, so it so it was like really strange to watch all these uh, comedians run around town nonstop. It was very inspiring to me because it just meant that they believed in their art. That's what yes. it means. And, and this I, was this was really to me the beginning of the alternative scene. Yeah, like your group was like the click for lack of a better yeah. word, that I looked up to. Oh, thank yeah. you. But it, and it, it was so organic. So like that rock and roll aesthetic, I'm going to say that it was David and myself clicked and made that tour happen. And after that happened, when I got here, I encouraged all these guys to go on tour and to do things they never had done before, including the Variety Shack that came to a head because I noticed there weren't as many women on stage at yes. shows. Totally. And, and, and so... The, we only have a spot for one. Right, right. The, and so the group, it, and there was no sense that we wanted our show to be just a woman's show. No, it but it was, that way. But it was this idea that we want to perform with each other, and we won't get the chance on these guys' shows, and why don't we make a show, you know? And um, so anyway, it was very organic. I produced Tinkle with those guys, and then I met these wonderful women during that time. And I said, Lloyd, why don't we do this together? And and I also thought it was interesting that I think I had more of the, um, I'm not going to say courage, but I think that being a woman in comedy, and maybe especially at that point, you know, there's a hesitancy to being um, like, hey, me, check me out, look yes. at me. And so you're really like playing it, you know, you're being low-key about everything, right? I, I, you had the chutzpah. And right. I think that Andrea Rosen and Chelsea Peretti, they should know now that you were Jewish. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's true. You're so right. You're so right, guys. That's how it all came together. So anyway, it was very organic, but I also got encouraged by all those people, too. And, and you'd also seen a, a similar enough world of which, like, it's practice, practice, practice. You're doing the same thing over yes. there. It's like, it's not, like the unsexy and sexy sides of it yes. all. Yes. But yes. the money, even, like, the fact that you do law and work in contract law so that you know how these things work. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like on both ends, you, you've, you've been able to – I can see how you were showing – um, comedians like hey here's a different route because for yeah. us at the time it was like okay well either you can do these alternative shows where you don't get paid or you can be in these like stand up clubs that are so provincial and antiquated that you're like I, don't, I feel like the 1940s they were like a little more progressive <laughs> so true so true and, and and again this is perspective now and I think as a woman that we also uh, sort of um don't take credit for the things that we do or minimize what we've done And but I will say that I definitely brought to the table like uh, I, I'm, this is a cheesy word but like an edge uh, this attitude of like let's just do it a DIY attitude which is what I encourage all kids kids to do instead of thinking about what you're going to be when you grow up this goes to adults too. do what you want now and and that's what we did it's a sign of leadership, though. It's funny that you said that. Like, I had Cecile Richards, who's the head of Planned Parenthood, yeah. on the show. And, oh, you know, amazing. she said, don't wait for instructions. You yes. can ask, like, oh, well, what should people do? Yes. And, you know, it, the irony there when I was asking it um, is that I recently met with someone who was who wanted to be, like, the artistic director of the public theater, who I had also had on the show. And I didn't have the heart to say to her, like, he doesn't ask those kinds of questions. Right. He's an artist first and, a, you know, figured out the business. And you possess that same innate leadership, I would say. Thank you. I, I think I've only recently been able to be more vocal. Again, we keep learning about ourselves. And yeah. um, I think 
Um, I do. I still do one thing that I'm trying to get over, and we all do this. I mean, there's there's lots of room for improvement on my end for sure, but I'm just always trying to figure out what that is. And one of those things is um, not in all these sort of professional scenarios. I feel like, for the most part, the men in the room sort of control, the, unless they're great friends of mine, right? If unless they're great friends, I'm very able to just say what's on my mind. But oftentimes, just to keep the peace, or I'm covering for people's behaviors, like you're allowing this one voice that's talking at you to be in control of the room. And and in the law, that works for a lot of people. I subtly can say what I feel, but it 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 it's like is there still a stigma to being the woman that speaks up and says what they're thinking? And if that seems confrontational, it's a problem. So I'm trying to get over that being a problem. It shouldn't be a problem. I should be able to say whatever I want. Um, This is why comedy has been something that I love, because this is actually a setting where you can do that. The whole year has been insane when it comes to politics. And just in that, you know, in the realm of the world of politics, as a brown woman, you know, from the South, has plenty of conservative friends, witnessing what's going on and having a stage and a platform to do comedy, you know, quote, comedy, end quote, comedy, but be able to talk about it and laugh laugh with each other so we don't go insane is just so, oh my God, it's therapeutic. It's be- so therapy. Because you are a lawyer, you do comedy, music, you're married, you visit friends all over the world as far as I <laughs> yes. can tell from your Instagram, host a show. I mean, oh my God, I true. say this as someone who's like, ran. I ran marathons without training. So, <laughs> so I feel like I'm the appropriate person to be saying this. I'm exhausted just going through your Instagram feed for about 30 seconds. Like, where does this energy come from? Oh my God, Katie. Okay, so can I tell you this? I and. January diet. I want to know. I've got a sleep app now, and let me just tell you, I just started also writing about this. I don't get enough sleep. I'm trying to work on it. How much sleep do you get? So, this is with work. You know, with work right now, the average is in the six point five hour range with works. Meaning, I have days where I have slept eight over eight hours, but that that. Usually, I would say since I was in high school, literally high school, because I got up, school started at 7. I, I would stay so up till midnight and after. I would say that the average, I mean, 5 to 6 is like, and, and there's plenty of nights where I've gotten less. I stay up after I get home from work to either to work on creative things or, like you say, I'm really – I am social. I love people. I love to support people. I love to see what everyone's creating. Well, and, and it, it ignites inspiration. I, I mean, know. and it's it's fun. Thank you. Know? you. And you, you have this family that you're close to and friends all over the place that you're close to. Yeah. So I just I, – I, I, the reason I bring it up is because – you know, you're surrounded and are good friends with people who are phenomenally successful, but they tend to focus on specifically what they do. Right. No, you're right. And that's, and, and I would say, and and this is something I've embraced instead of continuously thinking like, I should just focus. I've made music for so long. I've made, yeah. I'm on my eighth album. You know, it's like, what yeah. what does that mean, right? When I'm like, well, you need to refocus. Well, I will always do that. I have decided, and especially, um, I've discussed this a lot. I've been working with these kids at the Covenant House. We've been doing these improv workshops. Covenant House is a 
uh, I don't even like to call it a shelter. It's a homeless, a campus for homeless children. And they're young kids, um, teenagers, and they're amazing people, right? Just awesome kids. Just talking to them about embracing everything about them. And they don't have to say they're going to be one thing when they grow up. Yeah, well, and, and, and also I think now the, the – um, I mean, look, you have this meaningful life and you're creating meaning and community within it. Thank and you. That, that to me is success now. Thank you. I, I have um, changed how I look at success. Yes. In yeah. that way. Yeah. So even when I say, you know, they do one thing, I'm, I'm talking about achievement. Right. In the, you know, stereotypical way right. that, right. that it's a, a, a sign. But I, I am in awe of the meaning that you have found in your artistry while also being able to survive and not make that um, fear eat you alive economically. Because yes. it's real. Yes. It is real. And I even question, like, is that crazy? Like, that's the question because that's what no, the, the outside answer is world. That you have to have five hours of sleep. Yeah. I still want to know what, what you're. What you're you know what my mom. So my mom is like I said. She has her store. She could have retired years ago, and she she's decided not to because she said, "What else am I going to do?" She's social too. Um, but when I tell her about doing all these things, of course she tells you know she always talks about your health, what you're supposed to eat, same thing, sleep. But then. When I say the long list of things that I'm doing, she goes, well, what else are you going to do? That's what you do. That's what she, she goes, this is the time to do it. Yes, I agree. And I, yeah. I love that. That I agree with comes your mom. In my, she's right, right? What a, she is right. And I also think there'll be a time when if you do naturally slow down, you which just, I'm not sure if it's actually <laughs> like possible with your biology, but you know, if you do, you will. Yeah. And my mother, same, could have retired years ago and yeah. still bopping right? around. Right, and, and Still working full time. It's... Yeah. And the other, Same with my dad. the other thing, and I'm saying this to you, and you've done so many amazing things, but is just limiting that notion, uh, like beyond just trying to say, like, I don't have to limit who I am to being this one thing. Embrace all of those things yes. about yourself. So, like, and I'm gonna again say, especially as women, you know, we really are hard on ourselves. I mean, be it. Be it physically, like who we need to be, yes. um, in terms of our careers, who we need to be. But the reality is, you are not one thing, and you are so many, so many things. And don't be scared of embracing them, um, guys. I, I, this sounds sexist, but for the most part, I wouldn't say that they embrace everything, but they definitely um, believe they've achieved lots of things without uh, needing any of. The uh, sort of they overestimate. Yes. 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 Whereas we underestimate. Absolutely. Yeah. And so when when I started getting over that, I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to write a play. I'm going to com- write to my favorite performers and ask them to perform in it. I'm going to. I'm going. I need to finish. I need to finish a musical. I have to. I say it out loud so that I will do it. You know. And does that actually help you? It does. Okay. It does because I don't like to be embarrassed by not doing it. Okay. I like right. This. So that's the challenge. Sometimes. I say things. I want to have a shoe line, and I've said this for years. <laughs> and that one, I don't know. I went to one shoemaking class here. There's a Brooklyn school for shoemaking, and I've gone nowhere with it. But I just keep saying it. Okay, I'm going to join you on the shoemaking because <laughs> okay. I want very comfortable shoes. Okay, Part, just because I want comfortable shoes. Um, and Amazing. if you can also make A-line skirts, that's my I idea. love yeah. A-line skirts. See? Um, I want to also ask about your sister. Yes. Because both of you are um, extraordinarily successful in entirely different ways and different fields. And yes. I feel like her success is far more traditional, at least from the wonky yes. political DC world. I yes. 
Yes. So tell me about her trajectory. She was working in a law firm, decided I'm not going to do this anymore. Is she older than you? Yeah. No, no, she's not. Oh, my God. She would kill me if I said that. So she's much older. She's she is. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But she and I are very close. And we actually I mean, we are so close. She's one of my best friends, if not mine, you know, outside of my friend, Michelle, that I told you about earlier. Those two people have changed my life. Um, but my sister and I are close, like, on a uh, – we don't talk every day, but but I know what she's doing every day. Does that make sense? Yeah. And she and I both went to law school at the same time. Both at Emory? No, she went to UVA. Okay. Uh, and then her undergrad was Yale. Mine was. Are so Southern, though. Mine, That's amazing. She went to Yale. So she went to Yale okay. undergrad. So there's, you know, there's a different trajectory she, there. She came out of the South for a little piece. Yeah. <laughs> but um, – I remember this, and I always tell the world about this moment because she is someone that's still, she's cool, she's funny, she's smart. You would want her on a, if you did a trivia night, you want her on your team because she knows about everything. You know, she's interested in everything. She's not just a political wonk, right? You know, she knows about everything. She's super cool. And to watch her go through her career has been so awesome awesome and for we're both supportive of each other too right she wants to know about what's going on in comedy you know she she judges these comedians she knows what they're doing you know but she ended up going to work at a firm immediately after law school and was like this is it no and she literally said this to me and I quote her name's Ruchi Bomick so I want the world to hear this she said this because she's also someone who does not take credit for all of her accomplishments at all she um said you know what? I'm. She had not been sleeping at all at that job. She had been up till two or three and had to be at work at five a.m. or yeah, something. I she, never saw my dad go to bed before two in the morning. Right. He worked in a corporate law firm. Right. Exactly. So she just said, "You know, this is one. She's making too much money for my age. Hilarious. Only uh, in corporate law can right? you say I'm making too much money right? for my age." And she goes, "I need oh, to do something so that I believe in." And she went to the center to prevent handgun violence. And so she did nonprofit and. From there, she went to Senator Ron Wyden's office, to Senator Obama, to working in the White House. And what did she do in the White House? She was deputy cabinet secretary. She was the special assistant to the uh, chief of staff, deputy chief of staff. She was also special assistant to the president, you know. Wow. And she was also his legislative director in the the Senate. She, She actually had been in Capitol Hill longer than the president because she was at Ron Wyden's office before Obama came in. Um, She's well-loved. She she worked 24 hours a day, pretty much. She's on call all the time. And my goodness, I know this sounds biased, but I've met so many amazing people through her that worked at that administration. Good people, super smart, fun it's just amazing where we're at now. But anyway, she did manage to go through this tradi- traditional trajectory, especially for an Indian American woman, meaning parents wanting exactly what she got. 
she got us a trip to the White House, and that's for my mom. That's the end of story. Can right? I just say that I think for anyone of any ethnicity, <laughs> gender, age, Good sexual point. orientation. Good point. Vegan, gluten free, whatever. Good point. <laughs> Good point. I feel like Good. an invitation to the White House. Oh my God. Good point. It's so funny because my mom Even is. Even if it's so... not on your bucket list, it would be if you were offered. So I swear. Thanks to her, though, I'm certain. I think my parents are super cool, but I'm certain the pressure just completely, like, was released off of me when she did that. That was like, okay, you don't have to be married and you don't have to be kids, have kids. But you are married to a girl. Go- I, I am. I am. And that happened, what, last, a year and a half ago, and I, oh, it's been awesome. How did, you, fi- how did you find love? I, I got to tell you, though, I, and you, I don't know if we've talked about this, I promise you, I have always. I'm always like, why would you get married? I swear to God, I only so interesting. Yeah, I, that you did. You weren't aspiring to do it. No. And your sister is much, much older. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she married she, one of my best friends from a law school. Oh wow! How, how many years younger? Is two. You? Two years. Oh, yeah. Wow. Oh, so you guys are very close. Close. Yeah. She married one of my best friends from law school, who is hilarious. And I just was like, you got to meet. Francis. His name is Francis. He's so cute. Is he British? He's Argentinian. Okay. Yeah. Via, I'm sure his parents, via Germany, Argentinian. Um, he. It's amazing how people, it's amazing that like Argentine, excuse me. Yeah. It is amazing that um, Argentina has so many Nazis, so many Jews. <laughs> like it's just so interesting that they all like settled there because yeah. the Argentina needed people to live there. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. That's absolutely And right. then they also have Francis. That's right. <laughs> you would appreciate that. Um, so anyway, that's how close she is to me, I would say. You know, I mean, is she actually married one of my best friends from law school. And he, I, I really was at first put off by it. It was like my brother wanting to marry my sister. It was really weird to me. Um, but anyway, they had kids. They just did all the traditional things. Yeah. And and not, I swear, they, my parents, one time, one time in my life did they say, are you going to get married? Once. And then I, like, read them the riot act. I was like, wait a minute. And they didn't ask me. My dad asked my boyfriend at the time. I was like, wait a minute. Hold up. You raised me. You talked to me. You don't ask him. And, um, and then my dad was completely supportive of, of do what you want, which meant they sort of gave up, which is awesome. Because yeah. then I was no pressure. This whole marriage thing came it really came together one is one is like I love Jasper my my husband's an amazing artist a painter um we're both like I would say we came together I'm really good with struggling artists that's that's my so interesting that's, that's, your, that's my your... type yeah, yeah I love the struggle I, there's something really pure about it that it, it excites me. I feel like you can do whatever you want. I'm you know? sort of sad that you're not a male because otherwise yeah. we could get married. I could be your struggling artist. Sorry, you know Jasper. What, you know what I mean? Like I watch this whole Fallon stuff right now. I don't know if you kept up with any of this. And I'm like, I would never want that. Like I watch like – Oh, you mean Jimmy Fallon? Yeah. Like so I, what were you saying? I was just thinking about – I have big – a lot of feelings about that. One. It's just like, well – I just think about, and again, this is us learning about ourselves. I'm like, why am I so drawn to this sort of life of an artist? Of course, everyone wants to be, like, pay the bills, have enough money to be an artist without struggling. But there is a danger when you do your art for a living. Yes. 
Yes, and then when you feel ev- like you feel like everything's at stake, that you you you're worried about what you're going to lose, so that you can't create what you want to create. That's scary to me. You know? I think what's scarier to me, to be honest, I don't think that's scary. And I think that you could easily get paid for what you do, to be honest. You yeah. just happen not to. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, but. I, I, you're right. I feel like I want to maneuver it that way. You know what I mean? It's what, like. What makes me sad is that music and, and, and entertainment are two industries which, A, reward people who fail upwards. B, luck is never fully accounted for in a way that it really should be. Yeah. Um, and the the last thing is that I think that a lot of people, um, I sometimes worry, and I guess this Trump administration has brought this out, that morality seems a little relative. And so that the idea that someone doesn't know that that might come off wrong or something like that, to me, you know, that yeah. they're not, that they don't have an internal moral compass. It's, and they're okay promoting so and so is really scary to me. I mean, you know, prom- promoting someone who, who, who's going to um, hurt other human beings, you know, and, and hurt their civil liberties. It's, and, and it's really upsetting it's for me. Upsetting. Like, like in terms of being an artist, you know, and I guess that's the distinction. I always think being an artist is actually sort of uh, feeling like you have a voice that's super unique that you want to share, and you you are your specific point of view is what's what's the surprise that's what's the excitement like when you're sort of become a non-entity that's just like uh floating around yeah. uh, and I, I i mean i'm i'm being kind again like i don't it it's upsetting because you feel like perhaps i feel like there's potential for everyone so when i feel like someone's lost it and they're not using what's really awesome about them and they're just doing this dilly-dallying of of it's just like a big i call I call our president the orange meatball. I yeah. feel like that. It's like you're becoming an orange meatball. It's 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 just nothing. It's okay, so I think the takeaway for today <laughs> is that there's enough love to go around. It is okay to find meaning <laughs> versus achievements. And also that I want people to go check out your show. If you're in New York, um, you, yes. can, you can check out Chanali live. And where can they find you on on the on Twitter sphere? Or on oh yeah, yeah. It's at Chanali is my Twitter. That's it. Okay. And then everything else is my name, Shally Bomick, and my band, Tigers and Monkeys. Yeah. We're making an album, so that's going to be up on the, the World Wide Web soon. Fantastic. And you can also check out um, her previous albums as well. Shanali, thank you so oh my God, much Katie, for being here. Can we talk another eight hours, please? Yes, can I we do that? that. Okay. Yeah, we're just all right. Do it good, all good, blind. good. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you to Rob Schulte for editing this together, to ACAST, and to all of you for listening. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Okay, go out and create meaning and don't become an orange meatball. <laughs>